a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. And now, your hosts, Josh and Joe. Hello, and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe. What's going on, Josh? And our producer, Steve. Hey, guys. On this episode, we are going to close out this insane year that is 2020. We'll be discussing our resolutions as parents and people in general, as well as talking about our favorite music from this year. We also have a special guest and, dare I say, co-host on today's show. Please welcome back to the show, Rob Mitchum. How you doing, Rob? Good. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, having me back for the second round. Yes, man. For sure. If you don't remember, Rob was our very first guest when he came on to discuss the term dad rock and what dad rock is. And we're excited to have him back to discuss his annual album of the year data chart, as well as talk about his personal favorite albums of the year. Rob, how have you been in general? Like, uh, how's the pandemic been for you? How's life been for you since we last talked? Yeah, pretty much uh, the same. Every day feels like the same, though. You know, (laughs) now we at least have some vaccine light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm already like, you know, checking all the estimates of when live shows might be coming back for next year and (laughs) start counting down the days and hoping for some tour announcements. And I don't know, trying to look on the, on the bright side of things. And the uh, 36 from the vault is still going on the podcast. We just finished our second season uh, of our podcast going through the Grateful Dead Sticks Pick series. So awesome. we're up through volume 18, which is the halfway points. My co-host nice. Steve is working on a book. So we're taking a few months off here and resting our Grateful Dead ears and listening to <laughs> other music for once. And we'll be back uh, spring 2021. Nice. Very cool. Did the Grateful Dead release anything this year? Was there anything like that came out live stuff or anything or? So uh, the successor to Dick's Picks is Dave's Picks. Uh, the current okay. archivist is a guy named David Lemieux, who we had on our uh, Volume 17 episode, uh, if people want to check that out, our first and only yeah. guest so far. So they do four of those a year for full live shows or sets of a couple shows every year. So the Grateful Dead, this is how they make their money now. They just keep releasing things from the archives. It'll oh, never yeah. stop. They must have a ton, too. Being that this is the end of the year, we're going to take some time to talk about how we want to improve on ourselves as parents and people in the coming 12 months. And if we're still recording this podcast after another journey around the sun, we'll see how we did. So who'd like to go first today to talk about their resolutions? I'll I'll take a stab at it, Josh. So in case anyone doesn't know, I have two kids, 13 and 9. So I feel like I always say I'm like in the thick of everything with, with, with those ages. A lot was going on this year, especially in the last few months. My son was on a new club soccer team. He was doing really good. He even was invited to like the A-level after only a few weeks. We're really pumped up. And then everything shut down about a month ago, mainly due to where the club team was based. It was a super high COVID rate. So he was forced to stop that. And, you know, we're in those throes of going to tournaments, going to games. You know, our whole weekend was like totally taken up by soccer and then it shut down again. So one resolution is definitely to keep him going, keep him practicing. We live really close to our town field and just keep him, you know, active because he was really in great shape. 
I mean, he's still in great, great shape, but he was training like a lot, yeah. five, six days a week. And he even noticed like the other day, he's like, God, I think I gained some weight. I mean, he really didn't gain. He's like <laughs> super thin. But I'm like, I don't think he did, but he even feels it. So one resolution is definitely to get out there with them, try to keep, keep practicing, keep, you know, running and just doing some exercising. Same with my daughter who's nine. She was playing soccer and um, that ended as well, but she was going, she was playing a lot in town, not games, just practicing, but same thing. Just keep, keep her occupied, keep her, you know, active. Again, we live really close to our like town park. So we could just walk there and there's not many people. And for me as well, trying to, trying to get back in the exercising, uh, you know, mode and, and working out, um, would be a good thing. So I, I try to get my kids to, you know, push me a little bit there. Both of them less screen time if possible. Mm, yeah. Those ages are really, really hard to just keep them off screens, whether it's, you know, their phone or iPad or any other devices just around, of course, TV as well. But we just have so many things around the house. I feel now, you know, I have an iMac, I have this laptop that I'm on now. We all kind of just share it. It's not just really mine. It's, you know, they, they jump. If, if I'm on this, they're on the iMac or yeah. my son has his own computer or there's an iPad or a phone or my wife's work phone that she's not using for that one second. And then, you know, where's my work phone? Oh, she has it. You know, it's like there's always some sort of screen. So. Well, hopefully after a year of virtual schooling, they'll be, you know, wanting to <laughs> not use it. And, oh, much, yeah. And then there's school, by the way. Yeah, yeah. They're on school. You know, they're on the computer. <laughs> for X number of hours staring at their teacher and classmates that. So the main resolution I would say as a parent in 2020 is to, you know, go outside, keep your kids, you know, active as much as possible off screens, at least for a portion of the day. And uh, same with me too. I mean, I'm on, of course I'm guilty as like everyone yeah. else of being on my phone a lot and they, they call me out on it all the time. Uh, like, you know, the total double standard like every, you know, a lot of other parents like you're you, telling me you not to be on the phone you, you gotta explain you paid your dues and didn't have any screen time for a so, long yes. time and if you did it was probably like you know your parents had rules and stuff whereas now it's you're probably a lot more chill I don't know. I can see little Joe playing NES like for hours on end and stuff that, like that. Yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I, I, I started with Atari in, you know, 1982, nice. yep, 83. Same. So I go way back, but it was different. Of course, we're on, yeah. it was totally different. And then one main resolution for here at our new house is we've been working on con- constructing our laundry room into a music room slash uh, hopefully like a podcasting recording type yeah. of room. And I play drums and hopefully we're getting a new kit. And then also finally, finally trying to teach my kids, hopefully if they're interested, how to play drums and hopefully get, get them into it. I haven't really had the opportunity because I haven't, wherever we've lived, I haven't uh, been able to have my drums. So it's been pretty hard with that. So I'm looking forward to that. should be ready in about a month. Yeah. Nice. Who do you think will be more receptive of the two kids to learn drums? It's really hard. I don't know. My son was 13, shows no interest in, in rock right now. Yeah. To my disappointment. Yeah. He's into hip hop. He's into, they're both really into like, they call it TikTok music, but yeah. that doesn't just mean new music. We'll be in the car and it could be any station, mainly like a pop station, but if even a classic rock station, a song could come on and they'll say, and they'll look at each other and go, that's from TikTok. It could be like Black Sabbath or something. 
Wow. You know, I'm like, well, it's not from TikTok, you know, but the, yes. But that's like, how they discovered it. Yeah. So that, that is what it's interesting. Well, the Fleetwood Mac thing had a big, oh, yeah, exactly. Right? 100%. That's how dreams became a hit single Back again. in yeah. the like top were, 10. It's unbelievable. The guy, the guy just bought a house because of all the, the money he got <laughs> in from cash. That. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who will be more receptive to, uh, to it. Yeah, I really don't know, but. Well, don't, don't push them because, you know, no. at some point they might, you know, uh, at some point they might come around to it. And even if it's later in life, you know, there's a lot of people who start later and they get really into it because it's a, you know, it's a passion later on. Whereas, you know, I can attest that I took lessons, was into it. And then like, was just kind of like, I don't want to focus on this and kind of like, eh, you know, still played, but didn't, didn't, wasn't as adamant about it uh, at a certain point. Whereas I know a lot of people started later and became really good and you just focused on it a lot. So, you know, give them time. They'll get to it. I hope so. I hope so. But even just for <laughs> myself, I, I've been missing and Josh uh, is a drummer as well. Yeah. We both really have not had time or, or the ability to uh, play drums, which is also, you know, it's an instrument, but it's a very therapeutic yeah. physical instrument that, and not playing any gigs, both of us are in bands and, you know, playing drums is just was always my outlet from everything going on in life just to like be on stage and just let loose and, and let everything out for like 40 minutes. So absolutely. Totally miss that. Yeah. yeah. So for me, being a semi new parent, only, you know, my son's just over two, I've had to learn a lot about myself as a person and a parent. And you know, my son's really starting to get his own personality going. And so dealing with that has put a lot of, um, frustrations on, on myself and just, you know, trying to, to recalibrate how I want to parent and thinking about, you know, how I want him to react. So one of my biggest parenting resolutions is to not be so quick to get upset when he frustrates me. I'm, I'm someone who it can get frustrated really quickly. Just my own personality of like, if things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I get frustrated and upset pretty easily. So, you know, I, I got to be better at understanding that, you know, he likely won't do what I want him to do initially, that I have to talk to him in a calmer voice, not, you know, get so easily frustrated and like, you know, go from zero to 10. Um, You know, that's something I kind of learned from my dad, who was not a mean guy, he just would get really upset really easily. So, you know, trying to get not give him that learned behavior uh, so early on in life. And also, you know, it helped me just be a better person in general to not get so upset. Uh, I got to keep my, you know, teacher mode on a little bit longer, even though we, even then I get, get <laughs> it's very hard though. I mean, I know as a, as a parent, it's, it's like, we all have quick fuses and it, it, I feel like as I get older, we have quicker Me and my wife kind of jump, you know, and snap a little yeah. quicker. Cause it's now it's like years are going by same, <laughs> you know, thing that they do, whatever it is, <laughs> 10 years in, you're like, no, don't stop doing that yeah. thing. You know? So it's, yeah. we, we all have to work on that for sure. And to going back to the screen time thing, what's interesting is, uh, I, I mean, I, whenever I'm around my son, for some reason, I, I mean, I have a, I've always been addicted to screens since I was younger with TV and everything like that. And actually my parents never gave me a gaming system because of that. Cause they, I would just sit in front of <laughs> knew, uh, you know, the you TV for deep. hours. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. Yep. So I have sometimes an issue of, of not putting my phone down when I'm around my son. So I need to, to do yeah. that. And he's actually oh, yeah. started saying no phone, no phone <laughs> when I'm around <laughs> him. So, uh, and he, yeah, how old is he too? Me. He's so young. Yeah, yeah, and he, he, he knows. Calls he knows. right out. So I gotta, I gotta <laughs> imagine deal with that, that 13. Yeah. Oh God, I know. <laughs> so I gotta put that down. And actually I remember like on, on the, on election day, I was so anxious about what was going on. I literally turned my phone off and just kept it like off and it felt so good not to look at the phone. Oh, yeah. 
And I was just, it was kind of, I got to do that more often. That's, an, that's another resolution. It's just to keep, yeah, same here. you know, that phone off and yeah. just get disconnected sometimes. But, you know, personally, like Joe said, exercise more, you know, at the beginning of this, I was walking two, three miles a day with my son, but now with the winter, it's, it's, you know, not great. I'd like to get back into running or playing tennis. Um, I was playing racquetball for, you know, a couple of years, but it's, that's a pain in the ass to get to the courts and, you know, and deal with and find people to play with being more active and just being more productive with my free time. Sometimes I find myself, I'm just sitting there and just play a video game, which is not like terrible, but I'll just sit there and play a meaningless video game for like an hour just for no reason other than I can't think of what else to do. So, you know, do that. And like Joe said, uh, obviously would love to start playing live music again. I really miss it. Going to see concerts again, trying to get back into, you know, listening to a lot more new music and just getting, getting that, that wheel going again, even though I know it'll be tough once real life gets, you know, gets back going. And then finally, you know, uh, is to keep this podcast rolling. I know it's going to be hard. Uh, I know, you know, once life gets back into its regular format, it might be harder to, to, to do this, but hopefully we can, we can keep doing this. Yeah, and, for sure. And yeah, we'll see everybody oh, next yeah. New Year's. Definitely. Um, you want to go next, Rob? Cause you're a dad. I think uh, a lot of overlap, actually. Like, I've gotten into indoor cycling more mm, during huh? this year. Uh, we got not a Peloton, but, like, the next cheaper brand down <laughs> uh, fancy bike. So I can, like, there's a cycling training game called Zwift. Oh, nice. Which, uh, like, puts you in, like, a video game world. And you get to pedal around and race with other people and work on cool. your personal times and stuff. Wow, so, that's awesome. So I'm going to keep that up this winter, hopefully. And my goal is to do a century ride sometime next year. So do a 100-mile ride. Cool. Now, porting what I do in the basement to the outside world is going to be a little <laughs> difficult. So I'm trying to put that off as much as I can. But it'll, <laughs> it'll keep me going through the Chicago winter. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just like this year I've realized how much we take for granted as far as the activities and events we can take the kids to around Chicago. Yeah. Like we have amazing museums and zoos and, you know, all sorts of culture and things. And I mean, I, I really hope that I can keep that feeling of, you know, how, how special it is to have those opportunities and take the kids out to do a lot more once it's safe to do so. They may not want to do as much as I want to do. <laughs> um, it's a it's a. A thin line you got to walk there between overstimulating them, I guess, because sometimes they just want to sit around and play video games too, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, definitely oh, yeah. want to try to hit, hit up more museums <laughs> and take them to some plays and take them to some concerts yeah. and like really take advantage of all these things we used to do in the before times that we can't do this year. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. So, Steve, yeah, what about you? So, um, I kind of likewise seeing things for the big picture and seeing things that maybe I didn't take for granted, but I didn't take full advantage of. And so when I say see way more concerts or when I say buy more merch at concerts, like I always was doing it, but now looking back and I'm, I'm working on this oral history of this concert, I lived basically in Toledo with Detroit, like in a, you know, basically my backyard during the early 2000s. And I really didn't take the fullest advantage that I could have. I did see some great shows and I got some good, you know, vinyl and CDs at the time. But like, I'm not going to make those regretful decisions now. I'm not going to miss, you know, people that I like will regret till I die that I didn't get to see live. Like I didn't see Charles Bradley even before he died. And that's like a recent regret. And I'm like, I just can't make that mistake now once concerts are back on. So I feel like that's going to be a big one. Definitely. I, yeah, I think for sure. Walking, 
I think all us music fans definitely are thinking about like the like you're saying like the regrets of bands we missed, and we're saying okay, when it comes back, I'm not missing this band or this artist, and they come back around. Yeah, well, you, you know, but it's also I stick about it. It's hard too because you forget like. Oh yeah, I might have to work the next day, or you know, I might, you know, there might be another concert I've already committed to, and this one's like 150. But it's like you know, there's know. there's a lot of other yeah. things to consider. But I mean, definitely, I, I get I get that uh, that uh, sentiment there. Yeah, like statement. I'll be more, I'll I'll be less practical, I guess. Like I was a lot more practical. <laughs> I'll be less practical, but also understand that it, it's going into their pockets and it's perpetuating good things. <laughs> and then aside from that. Just want to do more personal projects. I uh, have a photo portfolio that I've been meaning to do for years. I dabble in like some concert and cool photography that I need to license. And I definitely have been going through and editing photos that I wouldn't have touched. I will say that that recent TikTok picture, the picture of the TikTok diner, Dude. you need to, you need to do something People with that. I need to, that's a, it's amazing. I need to sell prints of it. It's yeah. a, it, it really is amazing. Uh, it, a friend of mine was like, literally, I'll buy a print. I'm like, really? Like, I just didn't. It, and I was like, you know what? I should have a site. I should. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would just, I would even like to ask them if they would like to buy a print of it and try to sell it yeah. through the, through the diner. Cause I mean, it's iconic. Yeah. And with that fog, man, it just came out beautifully. Oh, yep. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it was just a moment in time on an iPhone of all things, you know, it's like, but it happened, you know? <laughs> Writing this oral history of the concert has kind of lit a fire about me. And I've kind of always wanted to move in this direction at some point was either being a music historian or even if it was an amateur music historian, mm -hmm. but then that leads into something full-time, like a degree. But if I'm going to do it, I need to learn an instrument. Like I've learned the basic chords in a college class of guitar. I've definitely um, drummed along to things, but not knew what the hell I was doing. So I feel like I know two drummers that are really awesome <laughs> and I know some software that they've, you know, or other things they've wanted to learn. So I really think I'm going to kind of work that out this year to like learn some more music theory, learn like an instrument. So that's kind of cool. It. Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So now we're going to talk about Rob's album of the year chart. Rob, you've been doing this for a few years. It's really cool. We, we, we've been reading it for a few years. And uh, just explain to the viewers what it is and how it works. Right. So going back to 2013 now. So this would be the eighth year I've done it, I guess, inclusive. So in my day job, I work with a lot of computer scientists and data scientists. And I was like cool. starting to get interested in this world of data science and computer programming and data visualization and all the cool things you can do there. And I wanted to learn how to do it, uh, but I didn't really have like a data set to play with that was interesting. You can find sort of sample data sets, but they're like measurements of flowers and things like that. Like it's not like the most stimulating topic for me. So it was around that time in 2013, I said, you know, I realized sometime around late November when all the album of the year lists come out that you could take, you know, 20 or so websites or magazines, take their album of the year lists, mm -hmm. just drop them into a spreadsheet. So no fancy data mm -hmm. science, put them in according to how they ranked in all these uh, different publications and do a little bit of math on it to figure out sort of what was the consensus list for the year among all these different 
music sites. So I did it. I didn't really do anything fancy. I actually typed it all in manually. And I did that every year until this year, actually. And I just Mm -hmm. did it for myself. And there were two reasons. One, the sort of like, you know, meta criticism perspective of like, what are people uniting around? What are the sort of weird offshoots that certain sites like, but certain sites don't like or don't rank at all? So I was kind of interested in that as a music journalist myself. But I was also, you know, around 2013. So my first son was born in 2000. 11. So it was starting to get into the era where I wasn't keeping up with new music as much as I had uh, when I was, you know, a, a childless young adult. Um, <laughs> so it was a good way to just yep. catch up. And I mean, you know, there was streaming already at that point. So any albums that popped up on the spreadsheet a lot that I hadn't heard, I could easily go to Spotify and listen to. And it really helped me kind of create my own personal list at the end of the year by hmm. filling in the gaps of things I missed over the course of the year. So it was entirely for myself. I just did it in a Google sheet. But at some point, I decided to tweet it out, and it got like a pretty big uh, reaction. So one of the great things about using Google Docs is you can see how many people are in the document at any one time, mm, and yes, so and yes. the, you know they give you the little animal icons. And I would you know <laughs> tweet about it, and then go into the sheet and just watch like every animal in the Google system like pop up across <laughs> there. And people seem to really like it for the same two reasons that I started it, sort yeah. of like watching the horse race of the albums, uh, album of the year Mm -hmm. lists every year, but also just using it as a music discovery tool. So over the years, I've done it pretty much the same way every year, but uh, I've... Because I work with a lot of data scientists, I found a few people to help me out and do some more complicated things. Some years I've had nice data visualizations. Some years I've come up with new like formulas for how to determine what the consensus winner is. This year, a guy, Jonathan Rockower, wrote me a web scraper finally, so I don't have to type everything in manually. I can so just nice. go to the website and it so, so pulls cool. all the data down and pops uh, it right cool. in the spreadsheet. So that has saved me a ton of time, which is very useful. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I really still just use it the same way where it's like, you know, Every year I get a little farther removed from what music critics are listening to. And this is my chance to catch up (laughs) and fill in those blind spots so that I at least know uh, I can at least be part of the discourse if I want to be about some of these albums. Yeah, as someone who is obsessed my whole life with music lists mainly, but all lists in general. Joe's Joe's a big data guy. I'm a big data guy. Which I'm a big list maker too, but every year I think for the past like 15, 20 years you've made a Joe's top 10 list and then... I work on it like all year. I mean, when I was like 12, I was making lists of, I don't know, the greatest Yankees or I don't know. Everything was lists. I, my mom kept a lot of this stuff too, I've found. So I, I really appreciate this as a big resource for sure. Yeah. What were your big findings or you know, outcomes for, for this year's? Yeah. Chart? So every year, like a has kind of like a theme, like previous years I've looked at, I looked a lot at like uh, gender balance mm. in lists nice. and I've definitely seen like a trend towards more and more female artists charting higher yeah. Yeah, than for sure. seven or eight years that I've been doing mm-hmm. it. I'm always nice. interested in like genres and what genres are doing well and whether there's solo artists versus bands that are charting highly. But uh, this year is really like, you know, it's... If, if you read any of the album of the year lists, they all like have an intro yeah. about what a strange year this was. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, music, yes. music reflects <laughs> yes. how like strange and difficult everything yeah. was from the pandemic to social justice issues to everything, the election yep. to everything. Mm. Yeah, so this yeah. year has been really interesting for kind of looking at that dynamic play out because I think a lot of albums got a boost that wouldn't normally have done well in a normal, normal yeah, year, sure. whatever that means. Yep. Yeah. Actually charted a lot higher than usual. So it's not like a very good data science 
conclusion. But to me, it does feel like more intimate albums, more sort of homemade albums yes. performed yes. better than yes. usual. Because normally the best, Agreed. you know, albums that get called best album of the year are like these big swings, like big ambitious right. albums. And, you know, a lot of the albums that I think did really well were recorded before the pandemic even set in. A lot of them came out early in the year, in the first half of the year. True. Yeah. But I think it was just like a resonance of smaller uh, homemade sort of lo-fi albums tended to do really well with people who were stuck at home <laughs> and by themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the music reflected yep. that mood and that spirit. So I don't think it's going to change, but the number one top consensus album as of our recording on December 14th is uh, Phoebe Bridger's Punisher. I don't know how, but I'm taller. It must be something in the exactly all the things I said like it's it's yeah. got a couple songs that are fleshed out and orchestrated a little bit but it's mostly you know singer songwriter like uh, sparse material and she's been neck yep. and neck the whole time with Fiona Apples fetch the bolt cutters which is what I would have thought was going to be number Me one yeah. maybe just because of my pitchfork bias <laughs> but uh, but, but again Fiona's album too is the same way it's a lot of stuff that sounds like she recorded at home sounds like yep. she was recording yes. with whatever mm. was at hand like as far as <laughs> yep. percussion and things so yep. and then after that was run the jewels which if you want to yep. get at the Fantastic social album. justice part of the year and the protests and uh, yep, racial themes obviously run the jewels kind of seems like the most direct album to hit at that. So you yep. can kind of come up with that narrative for everything on the list at the top, which is not typically the case. I think usually it's just a little bit more eclectic what shakes out at the top. But this year it's like you're kind of you can read the story of 2020 in the albums that, that mm -hmm. rose to the top. Now, thinking about your music critique uh, career, was there anything that kind of sh that really shocked you and you were like any lists or anything that like within the data that was like, I can't believe that this is this high or that this is this low or anything like that. So a, a few years into this, I decided that I was so out of the loop on things that I, I, I can't get that <laughs> judgmental about it. And when something charts a lot higher than I think that surprises me how high it charted, I'm just like, wow, I am really out of touch because I never would have thought this would be so popular. So right. I try to be agnostic about gotcha. what comes gotcha. up. I mean, I think I am... Every year, I'm a little bit surprised. It's sort of like the legacy indie acts and how they don't really register anymore. Oh, so like this year, for mm. instance, like uh, Sufjan Stevens, he put out an album that I think it was called America, right? right? <laughs> like it was like like a real, <laughs> yeah. this is what I'm talking about, like a, a big swing. Like Sufjan does not make 
tiny albums. Like he makes big orchestrated complex, like concept albums. And it's like around in the fifties or something like that. I'm sorry. It's called the Ascension. The single was called America. That's what I'm mixing up. But you know, 47 on the list, like you 10 years ago, that would have been an easy yeah, top it's pretty 10. shocking. Uh, but it, it just kind of came yeah. and went and sort of the usual suspects ranked it, but it didn't really cross over into, you know, other publications that maybe have sort of a younger perspective. So for whom yeah. Sufjan Stevens is now like old, like right. classic rock. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Damn it. Has he had a TikTok yet, Sufjan Stevens? Yeah. <laughs> I'll ask my daughter. Oh, God. Find out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. And then it's like, you know, something like the Bob Dylan album is always interesting because yeah. you think about, again, mm-hmm. 10, 20 years ago, uh, when the Paz and Jot poll was going with Village Voice, uh, all those like 2000s Dylan albums were like almost automatic yeah, number high, ones yeah, yeah. or in the top five. And this is, you know, it's a very good Bob Dylan album, sort of in the same vein as those records. And early on, it was very high up. It looked like it was Fiona Apple or Bob Dylan were going to be duking it out. Mm-hmm. But early on in the spreadsheet process is all the British magazines. They're the first ones to release their list. And they are more rockist uh, than the US magazines have become. So Dylan has just kind of dropped. He's at 11 now, which is still respectable, of course. Uh, and he's certainly the oldest person in the top <laughs> 100, yes. I would say. But he's not in competition at all for number one. Like he's, you know, he's below Haim and mm-hmm. yeah. Perfume Genius and people like that. So uh, yeah, so, you yeah. know, it's just... I'm past the point where I feel, you know, bad or insulted about it. <laughs> I'm just like, right. oh, that's interesting that this is the way <laughs> things have gone. And there's a lot more pop and a lot more yeah. women. And, you know, it, it's it's not the heyday of indie rock anymore. Like there's other things yeah. that are popular. Yeah. I just don't know, like ha- most of these artists, like I've never, I don't even know, like, you know, I'm just looking right now and I'm like, who is, who are the soft pink truth? Like I, I've never, <laughs> well, so, it's just like, yeah, you know, know that one is. I actually know. Uh, do you know the group Matmos electronic duo? No. Okay. So they were, a, no. they were a big pitch for no. 2000s group. So the soft pink truth is Ooh. one of the members of Matmos. They're like experimental okay. electronic, but soft pink truth does like electronic mixed with black metal. Oh, so, gotcha. Ooh, that's worth interesting. Checking out. Yeah. I'm just shocked that how much either music I mm-hmm. is not in my periphery or I just don't give attention to, or I know it's all subjective, but it's like, you know, like I was surprised honestly that that Brendan, the new Brendan Benson album didn't make any of the lists. I thought it was a incredibly, no. you know, well-crafted album and, you know, for power pop and especially him coming off the, you know, a year with the rack and tours, I thought he would get some, some run with that, but Nothing. he's not even, I don't think he made no, a list. So. Yeah. I end up feeling the same way as Josh and that I, and I do, listen, I try to listen to a lot of music. I do a weekly radio show and I've tried to play a lot of new music. I download a lot of stuff, like we're saying from Bandcamp, and I, I read all these lists and I'm like, there's nothing that I listen to that I, that I play or that I buy the vinyl of almost nothing. I mean, besides Fiona Apple's album, which I really loved, there was like nothing else in the top like 60 or even 70. A lot of stuff is trending. Like all pop, pop though, like, or, like, or, like Rob was saying, very low key hip hop. You know yep. I mean? Which now the bedroom pop though, I do enjoy in that, like say Paul McCartney has been able to kind of like wave his flag and be like, Hey, I was doing this first <laughs> or, you know, Taylor Swift and anybody else. But no, I I'm noticing like you are saying, it's like, Pop kind of runs this year for sure. Yeah, there's no rock. Yeah, and I think that's just like a, that shifting tastes in criticism. I mean, there was mm-hmm. there was a big battle, you know, 
almost a decade ago now between the rockists and the popists. Mm. So the people that sort of like clung yeah. to this like boomer seventies classic rock canon and music that very explicitly was derived from that versus people mm-hmm. who were, you know, more interested in what was going on on the radio and took it seriously rather mm-hmm. than as disposable music. So the popists won, which I, yeah. you know, my taste is more rockist, but I, I, find it a lot more interesting a lot of times to read, you know, very thoughtful criticism of things that are massively popular because there is a lot of interesting stuff to excavate from that. So, I mean, I'm a little bit skeptical of things like Taylor Swift going, you know, rootsy or whatever her (laughs) narrative is this year with the two albums. And she's working with, she's in the woods. I think we, with her flannel yeah, on. Yeah, I think we talked yeah. about this in the last time I was on where like the yeah. National and Bon Iver are not my favorite version of indie yeah. rock. So it's kind of funny that that's who she's like circled up with. But, yep. uh, yeah. you know, stuff like the Dua Lipa album. So my son has gotten really into like the pop radio station here yep. in Chicago, B96. And he just listens to it all the time and he wants to hear it in the car. And whenever a Dua Lipa song comes on, I'm like, this is basically just like Daft Punk. Yes, totally. Like, mm. like a pop singer over it. And I like it a lot. Me too, yeah, like, me every too. Every time I, I see like her that. on the radio, I'm like, this This is really good. I have not listened to that full album, yeah, me but I jumped around on it and I'm like, it seems pretty consistently high quality as the singles. So like, I'm, I'm not going to awesome. complain about that getting top five consensus because mm-hmm. it's, it, you right. know, it's just, you know, it's equally valid to, you know, the weird Fiona Apple album that <laughs> my son would never listen to. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's, you know, there's, it's also now because of the streaming aspect and because of Bandcamp and be, there's just... You know, this has been going on for at least a decade or two since, you know, Napster came out. Just the availability of music, to, you know, the the wide range and just the, the, you know, the amount of music that comes out every year is now more available and easier to access. So it's almost like unless you're, you know, one of these critics who's probably overloaded with music just all the time, you just kind of have to pick and choose what you have time to listen to rather than what's been cultivated for you on MTV or, you know, uh, radio versus like if you were just part of an underground or indie scene that you were, you get in tapes that were just handed to you and, or you go to a lot of shows and see bands. I have to like pick and choose when I have an hour to listen to an album and actually give it some time. It's just, it's tough to, to do. But, you know, I, this is why I appreciate your list a lot, because now I can go through yeah, and, and, sure. and say like, oh, the Haim album, I was talking to, to Joe and Steve about, I'm like, this is great. Like, you know, I kind of knew who they were. And I was talking to my brother, who's, you know, professional musician, musician and his wife, who's uh, works for Pandora. And they're like, yeah, that first Haim album is amazing. You need to go listen to it. This new one is really good. Things are not on my radar. And, and these mm-hmm. lists... I don't read Rolling Stone. I don't, you know, I don't really read a lot of music blogs like, like Joe and Steve do. I need I need something to tell me what to listen to sometimes or at least to check out. <laughs> like even the Fiona Apple album. My wife is a big Fiona Apple fan. And so I gave it a listen. She didn't like it. She she likes her earlier stuff better. But I, mm. I dug it immediately. I was like, this is amazing. This is like fantastic stuff. The amount of music out there is just so much that it's it's just hard to to delineate what's, you know, what to listen to and what's good and what's not good. Yeah. And sort of the great unrealized add on to this data that I'm always trying to do every year. And we've gotten close to it a couple of times when I've been working with like actual data scientists who know what they're doing is to use it as a music discovery tool. I mean, you can do that with the spreadsheet, but it takes a little bit of manual, you know, Mm. going through the list and looking for things that might sound good based on the genre Mm -hmm. or which lists selected it. These algorithms that run behind Spotify or Pandora 
you know, they know what you like and what you listen to. And so they suggest you things that yeah. sound like that. There's got to be a way to take data like this where you can put in your top five. And if those top mm-hmm. five albums are on the list, it tells you here's the next five albums you should listen to. Yeah, sure. Based yeah. on similarity of like which lists liked that those albums, like similarity they are in score to these other albums, what genre similarity they have. So we've done a little bit of that. Mostly it's just like data visualizations where you can pop around mm. and select one and it shows you some other albums. But cool. I've never quite got there. And that's what I'd really like people to use it for because... You know, people, we focused on like the top of the list here, but where it really gets interesting, I mean, there's 630 some albums on it uh, yeah, this year. It usually ends up being 600 to 800 albums. Ooh. One tab I'll point out, which is, I think, a really good place for people to go to. And I assume you'll post the link somewhere. Uh, yes, yes. Sleepers. The sleepers is it the tab. Sleepers? Yeah. So Dude. what I do there. Really cool. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's albums that don't appear on very many lists, but when they do appear, they're very highly ranked. So oh, I do I just see. like nice. some yes. simple math. To figure that out. That's great. So those are really good because you get really eccentric albums that way. Because some of the lists are very much outliers themselves, like from The Wire or from Quietus or some of these other more avant-garde covering publications. So if you go through that list, you're going to get a lot of stuff that is like totally not your thing. But then you are more likely, I think, to find something that is exactly Mm. your bag and that you want to dig into. I want to ask Rob about the the Bandcamp tweet that or recently they announced that they're, they're not going to rank their oh, yeah. their lists anymore. How do you feel about that? Yeah. So this is another thing, and I should mo- note that this is a limitation of the spreadsheet, which is I, at the very beginning, set up some loose criteria where I only take lists that are at least 50 albums, okay. and I only take lists that are ranked, and I only take lists that are generated from uh, a staff voting. Mm. So it's not just one person's mm. oh, Okay. 50. I want to get yeah. like... That publication's Mm. consensus to add to the overall consensus. When a list comes out that is unranked, NPR used to do this to Mm. me, where they would just list 50 albums. Then they started ranking. So Bandcamp has gone the other way. And honestly, I actually haven't included Bandcamp uh, in previous years because they only rank things that you can buy on the service. Oh, yeah, true. So Mm. I don't think it's fair. It's not apples to oranges to put it with the lists that are ranking everything in theory. I'm a huge Bandcamp fan. I For the first time this year, I included Bandcamp links in the spreadsheet, which I'm very Mm, proud of. And I encourage people to use it to buy the music they (laughs) like. Uh, There's Spotify links, too, if you want to sample it. But go buy the records, uh, especially this year, to help people out. But what I'm working on with Jonathan, the, the data scientist who's helping me this year, is coming up with like a free-for-all tab where we just dump all the lists. So don't even worry about my criteria. Don't worry about how long it is or whether it's one person or 50 people. Just put them all in one spreadsheet and see how closely that matches up to the hmm. like more strictly defined list. Oh, cool. uh, so in that case, we would include Bandcamp and we would include like you know, individual New York Times critics lists and that's all these other sure. things that I throw out, you know, come back in a couple of weeks and we might have that up there as a tab and you can compare and see how that shakes out. So it's basically looking at the frequency cool. of the of of the appearances of the album versus the rankings, the, uh, you know, the the average or the whatever the data, the, the calculations show of of each album and to see how they kind of shake out and see if there's a trend line, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And the way we rank them now is a consensus score, which takes into account both average ranking and how many lists it appears on basically mm. are the two main gotcha. factors. So it's because it's I'm trying to get consensus, right? I'm not trying to get just like. 
the album that two sites really liked a lot. I want to get like sort of the overall picture of what critics like this year. So the free for all list will be a little more eccentric, I think, because it is going to include <laughs> these like very yeah. narrowly focused uh, picks. But I have a feeling it probably at the top, it's going to look very similar. I think yeah. I don't think it'll be that drastically different. Yeah. Did you? I was just curious because you were mentioning about like when these albums were released. Did you notice if there was a lot more albums released? you know, like you said earlier on, or if there was a lot that came out post pandemic or like a specific time of the year that may seem different than, you know, the, cause I know like summertime is usually big for singles and, and things. So I didn't know if there was a time of the year that this year that where a lot of the albums uh, from these lists came out. So I, I haven't collected release date in previous years. And that's partly because this year I have a scraper that pulls it automatically. Mm. Whereas in previous years, I didn't want to bother looking it up for every album. But this year, almost all of the top records came out in the first half of the year, which is interesting. really interesting. I would love to be able to mm. compare that to previous years because my hunch is that there's actually a recency bias in other years where things that come out in the second right. half of the year do better than the first Good half point. of the year. Because mm. uh, it's kind of like in movies, and their Oscar season is in November exactly. right. December because yes. right. they want to release things and have be fresh in voters' minds. Yeah. So I think there's something similar going on in music, probably not as strong an effect, but the fact that everything at the top of the list is like June or earlier, yeah. uh, I think Taylor Swift is the only one that's after June in the top 10. And then, of course, she had another one uh, <laughs> too, that came out too late to make any of the lists, which is a whole other issue. Uh, but yeah. I feel like people kind of locked in their favorites early this year. And I don't know, like I, had ne- I haven't seen any data on this, if there were like fewer albums released this year because of the pandemic mm. or not. But yeah. that could have an issue, too, where maybe people like would have released something but sat on it until next year when they can do a tour and more yeah, like traditional yeah, promo. Thinking, yeah. so yeah. that could have been a factor too but yeah i think this year if i had all the data i bet this year would stick out as being more biased interesting are you posting uh rob your data visualizations on your website or like would you present them anywhere yeah so i i need to do some website maintenance because I, I do have a website it's at robmitchum.github.io but mm-hmm. I haven't updated it in a couple of years, which is mm-hmm. like a winter break project for me here. So maybe yeah. by the time this runs, it'll be in better shape. This will be good motivation for me to work <laughs> on it. Uh, but yeah, there like from there, you can get the links to the old spreadsheets at least. And there are a few cool. data visualizations and then a couple like articles that people have written about the data, uh, people that have interviewed me in the past about the project. Cool. Perfect. That's awesome. Because yeah, I figured like at the end of the day, like I would love to see it evolve if you were saying like as you're doing data scraping, but yeah, there's some pretty cool like tech sites that I've seen that have done like really cool data visualizations. And now you have things that are like uh, Last.fm that you can, you know, track your music listening. So there will be, I think, people more interested to see like your visualizations. And if you ever get to that, to that level, if you ever Patreon it or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I love the fact that there are people who have just come to me and volunteered to help out. Yeah. Uh, that's how I met Jonathan this year. And we have some plans. It's been just keeping up with the list so far, uh, but that's, yeah. that's definitely slowing down now. I think there's only a couple more I need to add. And then uh, cool. we're, we're going to try and slice it and dice it in some interesting ways. Wait, oh, cool. excited, yeah. man. Talking about lists, let's move on to our personal 
I know, I know that you didn't have any personal lists on your data chart, but we can talk about our personal top five albums or uh, songs or however we want to do it, our top five of the year. Rob, why don't you go first and you can tell us, you know, your thoughts and what you were listening to. And we can see if you know, anything matches up, uh, comes up on, on your chart too. Yeah. Well, that's, I, so I did this for my own list and maybe I can do it for your, you guys too <laughs> and you announce your winners. Uh, where did it fall on the spreadsheet? Because Okay. Like it, it, it followed what I was saying that my taste is just getting yeah. more and more marginalized. <laughs> oh, I, already, I already did that. Like I said, <laughs> okay. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I have six in my top five and I didn't rank them because <laughs> like, you know, to be honest, like uh, talking about ranked versus unranked, I'm kind of, I, I got all the ranking out of my system when I worked at Pitchfork and was a much more active music <laughs> critic. And now I don't really like doing that myself anymore. I just pick, here's the album yeah. I yep. like this year. So yeah. The first one I wrote down was Jeff Rosenstock. He had an album called No Dream. Jeff Rosenstock is sort of like an old, older punk ska guy that kind of has, he's gone solo and he's put out, you know, three or four really great albums in the last four years. And in 2016, he put out an album called Worry, which was my favorite album that year. It was recorded before the election, but it turned out to be like sort of the perfect sort of angry album <laughs> angry <laughs> and scared uh but also in like an anthemic punk rock way uh record for everything that was going down that year he kind of did it again this year with this album no dream uh, which is it's really like yeah. it's catchy it's fast and aggressive like all good punk rock uh but it's also very funny he's a very funny guy so it doesn't feel yeah. like homework to listen to it's just like a good solid rock record uh that always you know gets me fired cool. up and it came in at number 339 <laughs> on the spreadsheet. So. I know. I don't understand why bullet. he doesn't make lists. He gets, he gets so many good uh, write-ups and he reviews, does. but like when it comes to the to the end of the year lists, it's maybe because he releases in like random times a year, which is kind of unfortunate. But I got this record for my sister because she's a big Rosenstock fan. So I'm kind of excited to like, I, I hope she hasn't already bought it. That's like my big worry, but yeah. Yeah, no, he's... Uh... He's one of the best and just seems like a good guy all around. And yeah, he, yeah, he seems down to earth. So uh, and doesn't really play like an industry game. A lot of his albums are pay what you want. And he just doesn't really do the PR thing, which is a big factor, of course, and mm-hmm. end of the year list. So my second one is uh, pretty far away from Jeff Rosenstock. It's a guy named Ezra Feinberg. Uh, he mm. put out an album this year called Recumbent Speech. is just a really beautiful sort of atmospheric space rock album yeah i heard it just randomly on i think the aquarium drunkard radio show 
which that's a good show yeah they, which they do now on um dub lab i think once a month so mm. uh i was really it, it just it grabbed me immediately it's like it's got this like beautiful pedal steel throughout it which mm. i think uh, always sells me on a record especially if it's like a very atmospheric ambient use of pedal steel uh he was in a band called Cite. I don't I think that's how you say it, C-I-T-A-Y, who mm. I haven't really explored. I think they were sort of like a post-Rocky band in the 2000s. So he's somebody I've been meaning to, to dig backwards on. But for now, this record just like hit the spot as like, cool. here's something quiet and soothing in this year when I've mm. got the kids to bed and I need to just <laughs> unwind a little bit. Yeah. I picked uh, a few Chicago records because I always love to rep my hometown music scene, which is really great right now. Yeah. Two records from a label called International Anthem, uh, which is one of my favorite record labels. Everything they put out is must hear pretty much. Mm. A guy named Jeremy Cunningham, a drummer, uh, he put out an album called The Weather Up There. Just before your dad called me, I had a dream. All of my dreams from people who have died all take place in my kitchen for some reason. Which is actually, it's a pretty heavy listen. It's like a, a concept album. His brother died in like a home invasion. So Jeremy Cunningham talks to all of his family members about when how they got the news wow. and when they heard about it. And then it has music uh, interwoven between those wow. interviews. So it's not an easy listen, but it's like a really moving uh, record. And then Jeff Parker, who you might know, he's a guitarist that played with Tortoise for a long time. Mm. Uh, he has a Ooh. record called Sweet for Max Brown. is dedicated to his mother uh, that's his mother's name so again sort of like a concept album about family sort of jazz sort of nice. post rock like in that sort of chicago sound which is really like blending those two sounds really nicely sort of improvisational sort of orchestrated and composed both of those i just like they go together for me like they have a very similar feel jeff parker came in at number 71 so mm. i at least got one <laughs> in the top 100 <laughs> uh, jeremy cunningham did not appear ezra feinberg did not appear but but, you know, oh, man. whatever. Another Chicago record, Jackie Lynn. You guys know Circuit Day U. She is a Chicago artist and she has an alter ego called Jackie Lynn, uh, mm. which is a very complicated story I won't get into. It's like basically she wears a, a cowboy hat and oddly enough a face mask way before mm. all this 
when I went wow. down. But she collaborated with a band called Bitchin' Bajas, which is awesome. sort of ambient space rock Chicago music, and made basically like a weird, a weirdo dance pop record. Interesting. So if you want to trick your teenage children into listening to something <laughs> <laughs> on an indie label, Jackie Lynn's album might be good. It's called Jackie, okay. uh, the album. Definitely. So that's a good one. Uh, and then finally, my last pick, I only listened to it once this year, the Microphones album that they put out. microphones in 2020 so Phil, they had a new one yeah so this kind of came Whoa. and went quickly because it's very strange it is one 45 minute track and it's phil elvrum the guy from the microphones and mount erie basically yeah. telling the story of creating the microphones 25 years ago uh more or less whatever that was and it's just it's just one track it goes through a bunch of different sections uh it's like incredibly moving to listen to and it was so moving to listen to that i kind of don't want to listen to it ever again but wow. it, it was one of my favorite musical experiences cool. of the year was just hmm. hearing this surprise track from this guy who like i kind of lost interest a little bit in mount erie as it went into some strange places mm-hmm. but like the microphones the glow part two from way back 2001 2002 whenever that was uh one of my favorite records yeah. of all time and just to like sort of drift into the nostalgia of that project and that album uh in such an unusual way and in a total surprise way was just one of the best listens i had all year so that one is actually number 40 on the spreadsheet <laughs> so a number of people apparently liked it and probably listened to it more than i did but uh yeah the, that's my sort of wild card pick Cool, cool, cool. Steve, why don't you go? Alrighty. So it was extremely tough this year to pick a top five, especially. And I think a lot of it had to do with similar themes and also things that I think moved me more than what other years. So Run the Jewels, RTJ4 was my number five pick. Get a dose of dirty cold to go, been cold since cold flow. Got a wire to enlarge and I'll set a fire down below. I hang it up when you say sorry, didn't know. Probably got a year, 10 to go, so let's go. I don't really know how to go slow. Just got done walking in the snow. Damn, it's cold. Hey, you in the wrong mode, you open and close, you know, holes, no go. This whole world's smoke, built to the brim like Gitmo. When you think it don't get more low, with limbo to the sticks on flow. All the pressure's born alive. And that album to me is just. It's not, in my opinion, as moving or instrumental as I think Salt ended up being, but definitely was what you could say is the soundtrack to the marches and to the movement and everything that was happening in the vein of what we were going to go through. Well, I mean, at the same time, you know, this is it's, these yeah, themes are not new. Right. You know, it just yes. hit harder this year because, ahead. yeah. It's true. This album kind of came on my radar earlier because Primo, uh, DJ Premier, had produced Ooh La La, and used a Gangstar sample. And then number four for me, I know you might know this group, Rob. It's called Bent. Do you know Bent at all? I don't. No? Okay, so they're an electronic duo from, I believe, the UK, but I want to say at least one member is from Ireland. In the 90s, they had like a string of really good albums that my friend had always raved about, but I never really dove deep into it. And then one of the co-founders, Simon Mills, he does this just really lush, 
down-tempo electronic music that's kind of in the vein of Lemon Jelly, Zero Seven, stuff like that. And so this EP came out of nowhere. They hadn't made an album in like 14 years. It's, it's an EP, it's like I think eight songs, but of those eight songs, six of those songs are definitely going to be in my top 50 songs of the year. They're just that well done. And it's just, it's like, I kind of compared it just to like the, the new Avalanche's album as to like a warm bath. They know how to make electronic pop, if that makes sense. And if you have a chance, Simon Mills's album just got to Bandcamp actually. It's called uh, Harmonic Jigsaws Volume 1. And I cannot speak highly. Like of 2018, it was definitely like in my top 10. For me, number three was Salt, actually. And I included, and it's kind of unfair, but I feel like it's almost, the way it was released this year was two albums. So um, the Untitled Black Is is, I guess, slightly ranked higher, but then Ride, the other one that just came out recently. And I did find it on the list and I'm a huge fan and most of us in this, you know, room are of good retro soul mm-hmm. and I feel like Salt is completely in that wheelhouse and that they're this like collective that is either you know bringing some hip-hop beats they're bringing some pure soul songs they're bringing some even funk elements and throwing things together and making these interesting pieces of music yeah that was the big one that popped out from the spreadsheet to me this year too because I had totally missed what they were doing and then they started popping up at like number one on some lists so yeah uh, I had never heard of this until the list came out like who is this yeah and they're kind of like a weird uh, anonymous collective too which makes it even more mysterious and exciting I guess but yeah yeah, yeah. some sites just totally whiffed on it like Pitchfork didn't even cover them which is Mm, kind of baffling to me crazy that was one that I listened to I sampled on Bandcamp and just immediately threw down for both albums yeah one listen through and I'm like this is something I need to buy. So I'm yeah, gonna have to check that one out. I still, I, I still have to check that yeah, out. You guys, too. you guys will enjoy it like big time. I'm sleeping on it. <laughs> uh, number two is something that Joe and I already have kind of read about this year, but I didn't give the full attention till recently, which is Protein Threat by the OCs. Exactly. Basically, what some I, rock and roll. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but for me, the reason why it stood above a lot of the other rock and roll of the year because there's some other good stuff. 
was that I feel like the OCs, at least every year that I've listened to them, which is now the last couple of years, they do multiple releases. They do like an anchor album and then they do kind of like satellite albums, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like this was that, like their like anchor album. And it's just a collection of great rock music and different styles. Some of it's, you know, kind of stoner rock. Some of it is completely like, you know, eclectic, almost like uh, 60s era. You know what I mean? Like they just do a good job of keeping it flowing. That album rocks start to finish. John Dwyer from the OCs, he put out another album this year called Bent Arcana. I don't know if either of you have heard that one. You can find it on Bandcamp. But it's like a it's cool. like an in-studio jam that sounds like an old like ECM record. It sounds oh, cool. pretty far away uh, from the OCs. It's more like still though, yeah. I, but he's cool. he's just incredibly so prolific. I can't even keep up with yeah. the OC Dude. stuff that comes out. So I got to they, they just released you know. another album. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not just another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, cool. my number one choice was uh, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. as much as other albums didn't live up to certain hype this one did and I think the main reason, at least for me, was the quality of the songwriting, the fact that it was more bedroom slash home studio, the fact that um, you could tell that she probably had moments where she woke up in the middle of the night and was like, I got to write right now and like pour this into the whatever four track whatever she had. Because it touched upon Me Too themes, I think it just was about her kind of breaking out from her own bad relationships like song relay and newspaper but just in general the way that like the way that she uses syncopation not just with her singing but with like the instrumentation to me is is what set this album apart from her other stuff she's usually very piano heavy and this one she really worked with drum sounds and i thought it was really interesting i'm gonna do my five favorite songs of the year i'm more into the singles lately i feel like i feel like i'm uh either a teenager a tiktoker or a uh, 1962 uh <laughs> music fan where it was all singles pre-album but I, I try to listen to a lot of albums this year but there weren't a lot that i loved start to finish besides like fiona apple the ocs so I, I figured I wanted to talk about five songs that really stood out that I played a lot on my show and I played a lot in general this year. Uh, one was Neil Francis, uh, How Have I Lived, yes. the reprise. Yeah, Neil Francis is a guy that three of us on the show always talk about and and, and yeah. try to pump up. This was an, an outtake of uh, his song "How Have I Lived" from his album last year. He is a Chicago guy said, too, right? He's he's from oh, Chicago. Oh yeah, Chicago. He he's is, a, yep. Yeah, he's he's a he's like a, a, a neo soul type guy. He's like the Meters and uh, Alan Super seventies. Yeah. yeah, keyboard piano guy, very funky. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, this album, they, this song really rocks too. It's funky, but also rocks. Has a great solo at the end. Kind of has a little bit of a COVID lyrical theme to it. But yeah, just just an awesome song. That's just a great groove. His album last year was, was great as well. And uh, I can't wait to hear more music. I know he's back in the studio, according to his uh, Instagram. So I can't wait to hear more Neil Francis and get on Bandcamp. But that that song's really cool to check out. This next one to me is like the quarantine covid like rock song anthem of 2020 it has all the elements it's called when will i hold you again yeah it's from uh dion luna dunn and also features vocals from uh kate clover who's a really cool up-and-coming rocker Dan Luna Dunn was a bass player in the uh, noise rock band of A Place to Bury Strangers. And this song is about, he, he wrote it during COVID, like the beginning stages, living in New York City. The lyrics are all about just, you know, being shut down, New York City shut down. When will I see you again? So it's a great catchy song. And on top of it, when it came out uh, in early June on Bandcamp Friday, it was a kind of a pay what you want for it. And he matched all donations up to a thousand dollars on that day and he donated a hundred percent of the proceeds towards uh city harvest and campaign zero which i thought was pretty amazing mm -hmm. i think i remember that yeah, yeah that's awesome the next is bad decisions by the strokes Strokes are possibly my favorite band mm -hmm. of all time, or at least in the last 20 years. I've, I have a, a connection to them. I know, you know, through through the ups and downs, and Julian's all the Julian's, drama, uh, all the drama and, the, and the you know everything. But uh, I was so happy to have a, finally a new Strokes album. I think it's great. It's probably the most played album I had this year, and the best title, the the new abnormal. I mean, you can't get mm -hmm. a better mm -hmm. title for 2020. Yeah. And that was, that was, of course, written before COVID. But Bad Decisions to me is like the one real true, like throwback stroke song on the album. And although it, they got sort of sued, I guess they got sued for songwriting credits. They kind of copped the, the melody to a Dancing With oh. Myself from Generation X. Mm. So Billy Idol and another guy from Generation X are now on songwriting credits. I don't care. <laughs> I, I like the original song and I like Bad Decisions. Mm -hmm. that, it's a great song, great rocker. It's a great like summer anthem. I was hoping this the new abnormal would rank a little higher on Rob's chart. <laughs> I was checking while he was talking. It landed at 68. I was like, man, it should have been in the top 30 at least, I thought. Yeah, it got, Did you uh, hear that album, Rob? I was curious your, your thoughts. I haven't on listened that. to the whole album yet, to be honest, but it, it, mm. I did notice that it like one publication put it at number one. So it would be a lot oh, lower wow. if it hadn't topped wow. uh, the Les in Rocks. Uh, I forget what yeah. that publication is. I think it's a French publication. But yeah, they they really mm. like the Strokes. They're still all in on the Strokes over there. So <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> all right. Someone, someone's with yeah. me. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a good album. I mean, there's a couple songs at the end that are like kind of meandering, but there's like four or five like just stellar stroke songs. After that, uh, another a new band called Public Practice. They're a new like post-punk, very dancey yeah. band from Brooklyn. They have a song called Compromise, which I love. about their album it's it's kind of hit or miss but it's, it has cool production it almost sounds like a modern day blondie yeah this song is really catchy and my favorite song of the year without a doubt is uh brendan benson's richest man Perfect song for this podcast. It's like the perfect dad rock song. He's singing about his quote beautiful babies and a heck of a good looking wife. Uh, the lyrics are just fine. It's like perfect, like dad, like appreciation. He's getting older. Um, he's got twice the love and half the money, but he feels like the richest man alive. Great catchy song to me. That's in like a perfect world. It would have been a big hit, a big huge hit. But like Josh made brought up earlier, like. I've got no love in the in the year end list, but to me that that was my favorite song of the year, and a, a pretty good album as well. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I'm I'm going last, and I have the probably the most boring list. You know, as as usual, I I don't listen to as much music as I'd like, and and usually when I do, it's very much within the I, I don't I try to expand my lane, but it, everything seems to always stay in my lane. And while I did did listen to a lot of albums this year, I felt like there weren't a lot of great albums. Uh, there were a lot of albums I liked and I, oh, and I missed cool. a couple, like there was the Wood Brothers album that I just totally forgot existed. Um, and I listened to the other day and immediately bought it on vinyl. So I, and I, I didn't put it on there because I only got it, gave it one listen. And there's like, you know, the new Dawes album, which I like, but it's like, okay. The My Morning Jacket album, which is like, you know, it's, it's, these are okay. They're, they're good yes, albums, okay. but they're just not like top. Yeah. And I had, it you know, been better. Yeah. And I had a hard time, you know, even, you know, coming up with, with five, I mean, three, I, I didn't rank them, but the three that definitely were the top in my mind, we've all mentioned already is the Fiona Apple album, the Brennan Benson, Dear Life and Run the Jewels, RTJ4. Those albums stuck out to me this year. There's, I gave them multiple listens. The, the Fiona Apple album, again, is like, it's one of those where you have to really dig into and, and sit down yeah. and like, as a musician, if you're a music lover, you will love what you hear from this because it's just so well crafted. It's the production's fantastic. Said I had potential. 
Shamika said I had potential. Very unique. Yeah, and I'm not a lyric person. Stands out right away. But when I listen to the lyrics and that whole connection to the real Shamika, like it just kind mm-hmm. of just adds adds yep. some weight to yeah, the cool. to the album and you know how personal it was and just really shows what a great musician and songwriter she is. Brendan Benson album is just, you know, the first two tracks, it took me a while to like really get through and be like, is this good? Like, and you know, it took me a time, but the rest of the album is just straight up great power pop. sucker for great power pop and <laughs> just who I am. And the Run Into the Jewels album, I'm not like a big hip hop fan, but there are albums that I always will find and love. And this just like Steve said, it's like an old school, like great beats, great, great MCs. You know, the lyrics are very poignant. Looking for M's like I lost a friend. Jump out of my bed like where the bread. You go hold the egg. Way to bring a check. When we talk, we collision the car. Keep us in your thoughts. Fully dressed at the crack of dawn. Weapons heading off. I can hear them from the block. See them creeping through the fog. Season's greetings, not feeding. Season can start. Oh my God. Look alive. You know, I'm not, again, not a lyric guy. I'm a much more music guy. So hip hop, usually I connect with the beats and, and the sounds and the music. And this one just hits like on, on all cylinders. And I've, I've also watched uh, the Killer Mike, the trigger warning with Killer Mike on Netflix. So that probably added to me enjoying the album a little bit more too. Yeah. I kind of have six. So, but the, the two, the other two that came out this year, Jeff Tweedy's uh, album, Love is the King. This kind of, um, I have, I had a weird thing where I got into Wilco about 10 years ago and then didn't buy the Tweedy album uh, when he did it with his son. Thought it was kind of like, you know, kitschy. It was less rocky it was and then wilco ended up going in that direction anyway and i missed out on the his last album as i said on the last uh, episode uh warm i listened to his book his first book you know over the summer and i just like okay i got to give his solo stuff a listen and then listen to gwendolyn when it came out and it was like oh this is more rocking produced album like I feel like with him you know I love Wilco and Wilco you do get a soundscape that is different than this but this really his solo stuff really just gets down to the fact that this guy knows how to write great music and you know the fact that he does it with his kids is makes it even more poignant to me and it really is just it's great and then the other one it is not a rock album um and I I listened to it a handful of times but uh is the latest Joshua Redman album uh he's a jazz saxophone player for anyone who doesn't know him it's called Round Again and it has uh, Brad Meldo on piano Christian McBride on bass and Brian Blade on drums
guys don't know, Chris McBride is an absolute beast yeah. on bass. Brian yep. Blade, I saw play with Chick Corea and John McLaughlin and Chris McBride 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago. And the dude is a, is a monster on the drums. It is just a great jazz album. It is, you know, I'm not a big modern jazz guy, like, a, you know, but this one sounds classic. It, the production is clean, uh, it's, it, but it doesn't sound too clean. And it's just, it's really well done. If, if you just like good jazz, it's it's solid. It's, it's you know, yeah. it's not smooth. It's not laid back. It's just, it's just great music. So definitely check that out. The last album, I don't know if this qualifies for a 2020 release, but I That's put right. it on there anyway, is the reissued deluxe version of the Black Pumas album, the self-titled album. Amazing. I mean that that I like I said previously on the on the show. I missed the boat. Did not give them the attention they should have on the Steve's first go around. The Black Pumas I know. I, I heard. I've listened to their I stuff and I, I knew who they were, and I just never gave them the attention. And then when I sat down and listened to this album, listen. just it's so good. It is so good. Oh yeah. And so I was shocked they got nominated for yeah, uh, album yeah, of the year. They did. Right? That was well, uh, I mean, controversial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they didn't re- sell any copies of that album apparently. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they got there, yeah. Hey, I mean, it could be like Beck's album. Uh, you know, uh, there was a morning phase that, like, you know, everyone uh-huh. freaked out about. Yeah, no like, one really. Which yeah. was that was a great album, though. I mean, it was it was it fantastic. Was. Yeah. Again, I, I I need to make I guess a, a New Year's resolution would be to listen to more music and to listen to what Joe and Steve are listening to and see if anything. Yeah, um, you know, catches. Not that our albums place high either. <laughs> no, but, but just in general, like, yeah. you know, you know, you guys, all three of you guys are talking about these bands that I've never heard of. And I just need to like make a point yeah. as a music lover to like, you know, open my ears a little bit more. I will say there is like an effect I've noticed, which is like the curse of consistency. So like yeah. bands like Woko, Jeff Tweedy are like one of my yes. favorites, Yola Tango. They put out a, they put out a very good to great album every two or three years. And at mm-hmm. some point people just like start forgetting how good they are and it's not like they're (laughs) making big dramatic leaps in what they sound like too so that doesn't really register either so yeah yola tango actually they did have an album this year that was kind of like an ambient like uh project album that i liked a lot but okay that didn't rank at all but last year they put together i think one of their best albums and it didn't do anything on the spreadsheet so yeah mountain goats is another band that always gets brought up that goats always do terrible on these spreadsheets but they (laughs) you know he puts out an album every year or two as well that is always going to be you know very high quality but it's just you know people go after the shiny new thing and that's that's okay yeah. yeah, except Bob Dylan, yeah. who always puts out the same album. And somehow he gets. Up on, I mean, well, he's the greatest somehow. songwriter of, of. He's of, not shiny or yeah, new. But he's the greatest songwriter <laughs> yes. of, of modern music. But like you no. know, I can't. No. I, I don't understand it either. Like I don't understand how he gets. He just. It just sounds the same to me. So. Um, <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode and special thanks again to Rob Mitchum for coming back to the show. Once again, we had a great time talking to him and we hope to have him back sometime next year. If you want to check out Rob's end of the year album data chart, you can click the link that is in this episode's description. 
Or you can go to at Rob Mitchum on Twitter and check out the pinned tweet, which will take you directly to the Google Sheet. You can find Rob's other work at robmitchum.github.io. And if you're a deadhead, I strongly suggest checking out his podcast, 36 from the Vault, with co-host Stephen Hyden. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast and tell your fellow music-loving dads or moms or whoever to check it out. And if you like or even love the podcast, go ahead and give us an honest review. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at DadRocksPod. And we're also on Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or any show ideas for us, or just want to give us a shout, you can email us at DadRocksPod at gmail.com. Also, we have a Spotify playlist of all the music you have heard on the podcast today, which should be linked in the podcast description. We hope that you have had a wonderful and safe holiday season and that 2021 is better for all of us than 2020 has been. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to talking to you in the new year. And remember, dads, you rock. <laughs>